Welcome to the Hills. I know I'm talking to uh, people at Southlake Campus, uh, people at North Richland Hills Campus, because I'm preaching live at West Fort Worth Campus this weekend. I'm talking to a lot of people that are watching online. So thank you for joining us. Now, my wife and I are empty nesters. We're in this interesting season of life as our grown children, one is now married, but as we talk to them about the relationships they're having as adults, particularly when it comes to dating. We try not to give them too much advice, but I've always enjoyed the story of the young woman who went to her mother. She had been in a relationship with a young man for a time, but said, Mom, I'm going to break up with him. Well, honey, why would you do that? I thought y'all were going to get married. Well, Mom, I learned that he doesn't believe in heaven and hell. And Mama said, honey, you go ahead and marry that boy. You'll teach him to believe in heaven, and I'll teach him to believe in hell. Okay, silly story, but it makes a point that a lot of issues just seem to have a greater capacity to divide families than others. For some of you this year, when you gather with extended family at Thanksgiving, you're just not going to bring up politics because you've got a bad history of how that has caused great tension in the family. Or for some, it's sports loyalties. I have friends who pastor churches, especially in the Southeast, where the rivalries are so strong that if one school is playing another school, the alum of the school that loses won't come to that church on that next weekend because they don't want to deal with the trash talk. Or for some of you, there was tension in your family and maybe in your marriage because you had completely different views of money. I think we're all on the same page here. We all acknowledge there are just some issues that have capacity to divide families more than others. Now, would you put Jesus in that category? Well, you should. Because Jesus did. So in Matthew chapter 10, he's preparing his disciples for a mission trip. He's given them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. To bring this news of the kingdom to these different villages. To look for people of peace that they can share this news with. But he tells now you're going to catch some flack. In fact, more than flack. He says some people are going to arrest you. They are going to beat you. Don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say in that moment when you're called into court. And then Jesus says this in verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. So apparently Jesus did not believe discipleship would be safe for the whole family. In other words, this news of the kingdom and this call to be loyal to Christ would have, if you'll let me use this phrase, relative consequences. And we know from learning about the stories of the early church that this was very common, that one of the charges against the very first Christians was they break up families. And there's story after story from church history about how this happened. Particularly, you got to understand that the first century was a very patriarchal world. The husband made all the decisions and called all the shots and the wife was expected just to submit. Well, what happens when the wife becomes a Christian? And she won't worship the husband's gods anymore or tolerate all his infidelities. You have some places in the New Testament where that very issue gets addressed. 
Because Jesus understood that when the kingdom comes, family harmony sometimes leaves. And that brings us to the statement we're going to study this week. We're looking at the words of Jesus himself. Why did he come? And this one is maybe the most perplexing of all. Again, Matthew 10, here's what he says. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, does that surprise you? The Prince of Peace came to bring a sword? Keep reading. For I have come to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus said, I have come to disturb the peace. And it's going to start with the people you are the closest to. Now, he's not meaning that disturbing the peace is the purpose of his coming. He is acknowledging it is often the effect of his coming. That Jesus is calling you to make a decision. And that decision could mean potential division. Or or to put it this way, put Jesus first and some relationships won't last. I have come to bring a sword. Now, that's not a sword to be used in violence. It's a sword that cuts. It's a sword that severs even the closest relationships. And by the way, Jesus knew this tension from personal experience. In Mark chapter 3, for example, it says that his mothers and his brothers came to get him and take him home because they thought he was crazy. They were embarrassed by Jesus and wanted to get him out of the public eye. John chapter 7 says clearly, Jesus' brothers did not believe him. They weren't at the cross when he died. So Jesus knows what he's talking about. And he's always up front then when he talks about the cost of discipleship to include the fact it's going to include tension in the family. Look at this, for example, in Mark 10. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said, here's the deal. It may cost you your family to be loyal to me. Now I'm going to give you a new family. But understand, it will be hard. Now folks, this is hard. This is a hard word to hear. And trust me, this is a hard sermon To preach. What are we going to do with this? The Prince of Peace is promising to disturb the peace right in the place that matters to us the most. Well, two big ideas in this lesson. Here's the first. I don't want to be unclear. Peace 
is very important to Jesus. And some have misused that metaphor of the sword to advocate violence to spread the kingdom. Do not do that. Jesus never advocated violence. In fact, when he's being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword, attacks a man trying to arrest Jesus, cuts his ear off, and Jesus tells him, put that up. And even heals the ear of the injured man. Jesus came to wage peace wherever possible. And he trained his disciples to go into the world as his peace core. In fact, in the very first kingdom sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so to follow Jesus is to be on a mission of peace. Because peace is very important to Jesus. Now, we can't be anybody else's Holy Spirit. But we can always obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit to be peacemakers wherever we can. And it starts at home. A follower of Jesus is going to do all he can to be a peacemaker in his family. Jamie and I take this very seriously. We're both dedicated followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean we can't have conflict. As a spiritual leader, it is important that I pursue peace. I have a very simple procedure. I say, Jamie, we're in an impasse. I will say I was wrong if you will say I was right. Honey, I was wrong. She says, you're right. And we get over it. (laughs) You know, as I mentioned earlier, this was a real struggle in the first century. Especially in a patriarchal society, if the wife or if the children became followers of Jesus. In fact, Paul addresses it directly in 1 Corinthians 7. And he says, now, if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to stay with you, you stay with them. Don't ever, 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 ever use your Christian faith as an excuse to break up a marriage. But he said this in verse 15. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Remember, Jesus is preparing us as his followers to live in, to minister in, to enter into a world where there is going to be pushback. And we are to respond as carriers of the gospel of peace. We are not to betray our calling or our mission even when we get wounded. The kingdom comes even to our enemies with a message and with an offer of peace. Now... That brings me to something I promised last week I would address. And I hope all of you will listen with a lot of grace for the next couple of minutes. But every one of us saw the hug heard round the world. 
as young Brent John from the stand, not knowing he was being recorded and sent his image to the world, he, he forgave Amber Geiger, the police officer that shot and killed his brother. And he even asked if he could hug her. And of course, social media blew up with people applauding the young man for making such a generous offer of peace. I applaud him too. I want to speak for a moment about that. You also probably noticed that for many people, especially people of color, there was some reservation about what the young man had done. And so this past week, I called seven different black pastors, serious followers of Jesus in six different cities. And said, help me understand, what did you feel when you saw that hug? And every one of them applauded the courage of that young man to forgive the person that has changed his family forever. But they added, it did give us some sense of tension. Because while many Christians, especially our white brothers and sisters, were quick to say, look how great forgiveness is. Those same people were quiet when the injustice took place and didn't bring that up. They were quick to laud the forgiveness, but they were silent about the offense. And they said, historically, this is how it's often worked. It's the job of black Christians to forgive when we are treated unjustly, but often to the silence of our white brothers and sisters when it comes to injustice. Let me illustrate it this way. If, if someone is slapping you in the face repeatedly and I walk up and I say, hey, I'm your pastor and you're a Christian and you should forgive them. Well, you should. But if they keep slapping you and I keep telling you to forgive them and I never say stop slapping them, you're probably not going to listen to me when I talk about forgiveness. I think that's a good word for us to hear. We should never laud forgiveness in a way that diminishes the need to speak for justice. And we should never be so committed to justice that we cannot applaud and affirm a stunning example of forgiveness. And that's what I do. I listened the next day as the young man, Brent John, said, I didn't really plan on living the rest of my life hating this woman. That was my gesture, my decision of letting her know that I truly forgive her. She still deserves love. And I get it that a lot of people cannot understand what he did because they don't live it and they don't look at life through the framework of a cross and of a man on it that hung and said, I forgive my enemies that are killing me. And so that's how kingdom people live. We do all we can to give peace a chance. That's a real value in our church. Peace is very important to Jesus. In fact, I want you to be aware, we've even got this ministry that we're beginning called Reconciliation Center. We have people in our church at every single campus that are trained in legally binding arbitration and mediation. And we hope this is a ministry that goes beyond the borders of our church. And I just want to say to you, if you are in a place with a family member, with a business partner, and you're in an impasse and you can't make, uh, 
you can't get past the conflict. Let us help. We have people in our church trained to step into those situations and move us in the direction of peace. I hope I've been very, very clear. Peace is very important to Jesus. And the cross is a powerful reminder that peace is costly. It's expensive. There is a cost to peace. But the kingdom does not come with the message of peace at all costs. And that's the second really, really big idea I want to share this weekend. That peace is very important to Jesus. But peace is not more important than Jesus. He came to bring a sword. In that he came to cut us off from all our illegitimate allegiances. He will not accept any place but first place. And that means Jesus is willing to disturb the peace when it comes to our most sacred idol. Our families. So right after he said, I have come to bring a sword. Look at the very next two verses. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. By the way, you'll never see Jesus saying, you need to choose between me and the devil. No, he never talks about choosing between him and the worst. He talks about choosing between him and the best. That's what the sword has come to sever. And if this sounds shocking, know it was his intention. He insists that you recognize the supremacy of the kingdom over everything, including our families. Now, remember, this is the same Jesus who harshly rebuked the Pharisees for using scriptures in a way that they didn't have to honor their parents. This is the same Jesus that hung on a cross and made sure that his mother would be taken care of after he was gone. We know that about Jesus. But we also must remember, Jesus radically de-idolized the nuclear family declaring it is not a disciple's first priority they said your family's here to get you Jesus said all these with me who obey God that's my family a woman shouted one time blessed is the woman who nursed you which by the way is awkward don't ever say that while I'm preaching And Jesus said, no, blessed are those who obey the will of God. But maybe the most shocking thing Jesus ever said about family is this. He was walking to Jerusalem, headed to his own cross. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go 
and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Can you believe Jesus said that? That's harsh. He meant it to sound harsh. Let me give it some context. In that culture, when a father died, the son stayed for seven days with the body. So that boy's dad has not died yet. He's saying, Jesus, let me stay home till my dad dies and until I get my inheritance and then I'll come find you and follow you. When that guy said, let me go back and say goodbye to my family, what he's really saying is, let me go back and make sure my family's cool with me following you. Let me get my parents' blessing and then I'll find you and follow you. And here's what Jesus knows. (laughs) And this is one of the hardest sentences I've ever said in this pulpit. You ready for it? Here's what Jesus knows. Some people use their family as an excuse to not fully invest in the kingdom of God. It's so easy to baptize family. It's so easy to say putting family first sounds so holy. But Jesus knows some people use family as a reason to not fully invest in the kingdom. And whenever you say, Lord, let me first, those two phrases don't belong in the same sentence. Lord, you are first, is what a disciple says. So uh, there's a church in mid-Manhattan on 42nd Street called Church of the Holy Cross. And they had this big giant statue, 200 pounds of Jesus on the cross. And a few years ago, New York Times reported someone came in and stole it. Not the whole statue. They, they took these big bolts and they undid them and just took the 200 pound statue of Jesus. They left the crucifix. And, and the caretaker wondered, why would anybody want to take Jesus and not take his cross? And of course, you know, that'll preach. <laughs> Isn't that what so many of us want? I want Jesus without the cross. Jesus said, if you love your father or your mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross. Did you catch that? What Jesus is saying is that for some of you, your cross is going to be choosing me over your family. You know, that happens. I have a pastor friend named Brandon. His wife is the daughter of Greek immigrants. Her father, his father-in-law, was a son of a person that was a leader of the state church. He said, we're just selling candles. I want to be a Christian. He was a Pledged to marry a woman, an arranged marriage. He said, walking by the beach, he said to her, 
I'm leaving. I'm going to America. I want to become a Christian and follow Jesus. You can come with me or you can stay. I understand. She came. They became followers of Jesus. They've raised their children to follow Jesus. Their grandchildren are following Jesus. But here's the thing. For 17 years, his family in Greece would not talk to him. I know a pastor in Dallas. He was in Indonesia. They're having a service, and a young girl, 14 years old, comes and brings a suitcase and asks to be baptized. They said, sweetheart, of course we're going to baptize you, but you don't have to bring clothes to change into. We have clothes here. No, she said, I can't go home. She could not go back to her Muslim home after she had been baptized into Jesus. We have missionaries right now in parts of the world where deciding to follow Jesus will cost you your family. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't Jesus saying, it'll probably never happen, but if it does, I want you to understand for the history of the church and right now in big parts of the world, people are having to make the decision. Is Jesus worth losing my family? But I want you to remember, as hard as this is to hear and as hard as this is to preach, Jesus called the message of the kingdom good news and it's good news for the whole family whether they recognize it or not because when we choose Jesus over the best of our relationships it is best for our relationships I want to show you one of the cutest wedding pictures I've seen recently this is a Jeremy and Krista Barossa. They were married recently in Minnesota. Jeremy's a firefighter. Their venue fell through at the last moment. They said, well, let's just get married at the fire station. So they're having their wedding and having the reception. Everything's going great. And then the alarm goes off. There was a nearby town and their fire department could not handle a blaze and they needed help. Now, this is out of his area of responsibility. He doesn't have to go. But Krista turns to him and says, you go do what you're supposed to do. You see, she understood. This is his mission. He risked his life to save people. And now it's her mission. And he went on to say, that's part of why I believe we're going to have such a great marriage. We both are committed to the same mission. The best thing you can do for your family is put Jesus first. And here's why. Because when you put Jesus first, you take up your cross, you die to yourself. And it's only when you truly die to yourself that you can truly live for somebody else. Uh, let me put it like this. When I put Jesus before, before my family, when, when I put Jesus before them, I will put them before me. Because following Jesus means I die to myself. Or to put it this way, love Jesus most and you will love others more. And I know what I'm talking about. Because I'm married to a woman that has never loved me most.
Some of you know my wife, Jamie. You probably don't know her real well. You don't, you probably haven't heard her pray like I have a thousands of times. You never walked into her kitchen early in the morning to see her with her Bible out, spending time with the Lord. I have never for a day of our marriage wondered if she loved God as much as me. She has always loved God more than me. And the thing is, it has made her such a stunningly amazing wife. She loves me so much better because she loves Jesus most. When I was a young preacher, one of my preaching heroes was a well-known black pastor in L.A. called Dr. E.V. Hill, preached for a big Baptist church. And during the riots in L.A., he spoke out strongly and boldly against racism. And he got death threats. In fact, he got a very credible threat that you will be dead in the next 24 hours. He told this story at her funeral. That he got up that next day glad that he could wake up. But his wife was gone. He began to look for her and her car was gone. And then she pulled up in the driveway in her robe. She said, well, I got to wondering during the night if someone could have put a bomb in the car. So I went to find out. It's fine. You can go. You think a man could live a long time in stunning love with a woman like that? She could be so dead to herself. Because she was so alive to Jesus. You will love others best when you love Jesus most. And so let me be clear. Jesus needs to be more important than any other relationship in your life. And when you are at peace with that, then you know The kingdom has come. So now every campus, North Richardson Hills, South Lake, online, I want you to bow your head with me. And I want to lead us into a short season of prayer. I need your help because I need you to do some of the praying. And here's the first thing. I just know all around the world right now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that live in places of great persecution. Where to become a Christian costs you everything, including your family. And I just, right now, ask the Holy Spirit to put one place in the world on your heart where persecution is real. And just take a moment. Would you pray for the Christians in that spot of the world the Holy Spirit is placed on your heart right now? Okay, now here's what I'd like you to do. My guess is there's at least one relationship in your life where there's some tension. Would you ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you insight into how, as far as it depends on you, you can make an offer of peace to that person?
Okay, last thing. Ask God to help you love Jesus more than anything. More than anyone. And Jesus, we know that when you come back, peace is going to reign over the whole earth. But right now, help us to be so sure of your supremacy and your goodness that peace will reign in our heart no matter what. And for your glory, I ask this. Amen.